live with hope, expectation, and confidence that our exile is coming to an end. And let's hope it's soon. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. We have been in the book of Mark, but we were bringing that to an end last Sunday. And uh, we're going to start in the Psalms through much of the summer. We're going to go through probably to September in the Psalms, kind of like we've done the last two summers. But we're not going to start that for a couple of weeks. And today I'm, I'm going to do something a, a little bit uh, a little bit different. This is uh, the weekend that we as Americans remember our Declaration of Independence from Great Britain. The American Revolution was fought between 1765 and 1783. That was a long time in the, in the English colonies that were located here on the eastern coast of North America. There were 13 colonies at the time, and they had struggled with Britain for a while, their mother country. Uh, seeking some degree of independence from her. But at the conclusion of the French and Indian War in 1763, Great Britain was in a lot of debt, and so they looked to the colonies to replenish their treasury. And so they started uh, putting more and more taxes on the colonies to the point that the colonies rebelled. Key leaders like Patrick Henry and Thomas Paine pushed the country to a place where you had to choose between being a patriot of this new thing that was happening in this new world, or you had to be a loyalist to uh, to Britain. We all know the stories of Paul Revere and the Minutemen, George Washington, and the crossing of the Delaware in the middle of the night, and, and the victory, I, I think it was up in Trenton, New Jersey, but up in that area. In April 1775, the colonists began to actually literally fight for freedom. I think that was the shot that was heard around the world. In 1776, we declared independence formally from, from England, and we would fight the next seven years to, uh, to gain that, uh, that freedom, that independence. And it would not uh, happen until September 3rd, 1783, when England would sign the, the Paris Treaty, uh, recognizing our American independence. America as a nation has been very good to us as followers of Jesus. And I think in many ways or many reasons for that, it, it was because our Judeo-Christian influence helped form this great nation of America from its uh, inception. But one thing that we must be careful not to do is to conflate this great nation with the kingdom of God. They are not one and the same. Even in this great land, we are exiles, sojourners. An exile is someone who's living apart from their home. And an exile is someone who is somewhat of a foreigner, right? And the Bible calls us exiles. Listen to how Peter talks about early believers. He says, to God's chosen people, exiles scattered throughout Provinces of Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. And I might even add exiles in Surrey and Smithfield, Ottawa County. He later says in the same letter, he says, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. 
The author of the book of Hebrews calls the heroes of our faith foreigners and strangers on this earth. Hebrews eleven thirteen. If you belong to Jesus, you belong to his kingdom, and his kingdom is not of this earth. We are citizens of Jesus' kingdom. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior. I might say we eagerly await our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as great as our nation is, we are actually exiles in this land. Our greatest loyalty lies with another empire, with another kingdom. Our greatest loyalties lie with the kingdom of God. And since this is Independence Weekend, the weekend where we as Americans celebrate our independence from, from uh, Great Britain, I thought it would be good to remind us this morning how we should live as exiles in this country. How, how, should we, how should we exist? What should we do as exiles in America? And uh, so I'm going to go back to the Old Testament to some advice that God gave his first chosen group of people, Israel, and in the covenant he made with them, he gave them some advice on how to live as exiles. So open in your Bibles to Jeremiah 29, if you would, this morning. Just a bit of context. Uh, God created this special nation. You may or may not know this, but he created a special nation, a special kingdom. It was unlike, it was very similar to the kingdoms that existed, but it was very, very different at the same time. In God's plan, in God's plan as he created this nation, he basically said, I'm going to rule over you. I'm going to be your king. You're not going to have a physical king. I'm going to be your king. And he said, we're going to showcase to all the world what it would be like if a nation loves God and follows God, submits to God. We're going to show the whole world what that's like. Now, the problem was that the people that he formed into this nation, well, they didn't really love God, most of them. And uh, they didn't really seek after God. In fact, uh, in fact, God spent most of his time calling them to repentance, calling them to come back to God. The majority of that nation was almost always in rebellion uh, to God. Now they would, they would ebb away and they'd come back and they'd ebb away, but there was a great deal of them, most of them, that did not follow God. At one point, the prophet Elijah said he, he was alone, and God said, no, i got 7,000 people. What's happening? Anybody know? Um, so he said, uh, God said, hey, i got 7,000 people who haven't bowed the knee to me, I mean, to, to Baal, to the false gods. But 7,000 out of a nation as big as Israel was, that wasn't very many, right? So, so most of Israel, did, for most of the time, they were in rebellion against God. And so God told that, God told Jerusalem and Judah, the only, the only part of his kingdom that was left, or his people that was left, he said, look, if you don't repent, I'm going to exile you out of the land. And they did not repent. And so God promised them, I'm going to take you away. Let's, let's, hey, let's go to this, Pete, okay? I don't know what's going on, but that's going to be distracting. So, so he said, I'm going to exile you out of the land, and uh, you're going to be taken away by this bigger empire, Babylon, and you're going to go and you're going to live there. So in 606, 597, and 586 B.C., this empire of Babylon came down to where God's people lived, and basically deported them all back to Babylon. They all returned back to Babylon where they would live as exiles. 
Now, during this time, there was a prophet named Jeremiah. He was not exiled. He lived in Israel. In fact, part of the time he went down to, to Egypt, but most of the time he was in Israel. He wrote a letter to all these people who'd been exiled up to Babylon. And in this letter, he tells them how to live in that exile. We find that letter in Jeremiah 29. Let's start at verse 1. It says, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining exiled elders and priests and prophets and all the people of Nebuchadnezzar that Nebuchadnezzar had deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, the court officials, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, the metalsmiths that were left in Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elessa, Elasa, excuse me, the son of Shaphan, and uh, Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to King Nebuchadnezzar to Babylon. Now, I may be wrong. I may be wrong, so please understand that. But I imagine that the advice that God gave those exiles is probably very similar to the advice that he would give us as exiles today in our American country. And the letter wasn't written to us. I want to acknowledge that. that le- this letter was not written to us as, as Christians in the 21st century living in America. It wasn't written to us. But I think as, as I point to you the things that God said to them, I think we're going to find corollaries in the New Testament. I think we'll see how these are the things that I think God desires of us living as exiles in, in our country. So I've written down six things that he told them, and, and I'm going to challenge us and encourage us and maybe convict us with these six things as well. So here's the first one. Here's how we should live as exiles in America. Plant your life where you are. So here's what he said. And the letter starts, verse 4. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel, says to all the exiles I deported to Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Now, I'm not suggesting that God is saying that we have to just live in one place and never move from there. I don't believe that's what he's talking about. But what I think he is saying is recognize you're going to be there for a while and live your life there. Be embedded where you are. Here's something God did for them that he hasn't done for us. He gave them a a date on their exile. He said, you're going to be in exile for 70 years. That's a lifetime. Don't treat life as transient. Don't treat life. Don't live out of your suitcase, guys. You're going to be there for a while. So build your house and plant your lives. Plant gardens and live off the produce of that. And any prophet, he goes on to tell them, that tells you that it's going to be shorter than that, that the time will be less than that, they're a liar and I've not sent them. Now, we don't really have too much problem with this, do we? Jesus has been gone for 2,000 years. If there's any problem at all, we have a, we have a problem with forgetting that the exile is going to come to an end, right? Uh, so we don't really have much problem with planting ourselves. But, but nonetheless, I just really want to encourage us, as we live as exiles in this land, plant yourself, be here, live here. I think that's what God would say to us. Maybe, maybe you are... Uh, going to be in a transient time in your life. If you're in a transient time of your life, I would still say to you, be all there where you are. Plant your life. Embed your life there. Now, let me tell you how this kind of played out in my life. So I began to follow Jesus in college, and I'm living in a college town far away from home. 
But I began to follow Jesus, and I recognized something. I recognized that God wanted me to be embedded where I was. And so, you know, I joined my church. And I didn't just join my church. I, I was a part of my church. I ministered with my church. I, I was a part of the family. Dietrich, I really appreciated, I don't know where you went. There you are. I really appreciate how you talked about the church family, because that's always been my heart. And that's how it was for me as a young college student. I didn't live a transient life. I embedded my life where I was at the time. Now, some of you are going to go off to college. And this is what I've seen over. I see it all the time. Young people go off to college and they just live disconnected from where they are. Hey, my church is back home. My life is back home. I'm just here. college. No, you're at college for nine months out of the year. If you're there, be all there. I think that's what he'd say to us. Live your life embedded where you are as as an exile. Number two. Secondly, he says to them, prioritize your family. Prioritize raising a family. Prioritize raising your family. So in verse 6, here's what Jeremiah wrote to them. Find wives for yourselves and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, do not decrease. Man, I think it's insightful that God told them, in the exile, focus on your family. In the exile, raise your family. Get married, guys. Have children, he says to them. You know, a few months back, I don't know, maybe it's been two or three months, I, uh, I spoke to you about God's desire for us to raise families, for us to multiply. And I challenged you young couples to have more children. You remember that? And I mean, I'm so thankful you, God spoke to you and you listened. And we, and we have seven young moms who are expecting now. Some of them we went, took it so far they're having twins. I mean, isn't this awesome, right? And this is so awesome, right? Uh, so not to be repetitive, but I'm going to be repetitive because this is what God says to us as far as living in exile. He says, children are a blessing. Yes, they're hard work. Yes, they're a glorious joy. Parents, you know, they bring indescribable happiness to you, but at the same time, blood, sweat, and tears. But, but here's what he says. While you live as exiles in the land, multiply. Have children. Raise families. This is his challenge, I think, to, I think, to us, to reproduce ourselves. You know, this thing about multiplying goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It goes all the way back to God's mandate to us at the very beginning. To raise families, to multiply, to fill the earth. And I know some people want to tell you that the earth is filled, and that's just simply not true. You know, uh, you know, it takes more than two kids to multiply yourself. It takes 2.1 to reproduce yourself. I don't understand that, but you go out and research it. It takes 2.1 children. How you get a 0.1 child? I don't know, but it takes two point, more than two to just maintain status quo, right? God's told us to go and multiply. Uh, we walk by the letter of the laws here. I am not at all trying to say, I'm not trying to tell you what to do. I am trying to challenge you possibly to think from this perspective that children are a blessing and we should be open to multiplying ourselves. There is a movement in our culture today that says we're not having any more children. We're not having children, period. 
Because we're not going to bring children into this world. God tells us exactly the opposite if you're His people. He says, multiply. You're living as exiles in the land, multiply. Bring forth children into the land. So let me be really clear here. This is not children for children's sake. This is not children for number's sake. God wants you to bring forth children that you will lead and love and, and, and help them follow God and know God. God is challenging us to bring forth children who would in turn follow after him. The goal is not more people. The goal is more sons and daughters of God because they see God at work in their, in their parents' lives. When Israel's men were divorcing their wives for younger women, y'all remember this back in, I don't remember what book, I think it's Malachi. Yes, Mal, the prophet Malachi. And Malachi reminds them, hey, this is why God led you to marriage, because God desired a godly offspring from you. God desired that you would raise a family of, of, of children, of guys and boys, boys and girls, who would follow after Jesus. So, so parents, this isn't just about numbers. This is about raising your children to love and to follow Jesus. And grandparents, I might say this, because I'm in that category now. You know, God is calling us as grandparents to help our children raise our grandchildren so that they love and they follow Jesus. So parents, I mean grandparents, can't you see how absolutely crucial it is that you pour your lives into your children that they might love Jesus and know Jesus? This past week on Wednesdays, we have a prayer time, and we, we every one of our prayer times, we're reading Scripture before we pray, and we're reading through Revelation and we read about the church of Laodicea. You remember the church at Laodicea? That's the church that God says, I would rather you be cold or hot, but you're lukewarm because you're going to, your lukewarm will spit you out of my mouth. Now they say, and I think this is probably true, but they say that Laodicea is situated really near a hot springs and really near a, a cold, uh, a cold spring. And so hot water is really refreshing when you want a nice hot bath or a hot shower, right? Cold water is really refreshing when you want to drink. But lukewarm water isn't good for anything. And God says, I would rather you be hot, refreshing that way, cold, refreshing this way. But the fact that you're neither one, you're just good for nothing. So let me say, parents, parents and grandparents, let's not be good for nothing. Let's be either hot or cold. Let's be refreshing one way or the other, but let's invest our lives in our children. I think that's what God would say to us as exiles in America. Number three, pursue the well-being of America. Verse seven, pursue. Here's what Jeremiah said to them. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. God didn't deport them, didn't deport you, excuse me, to this country, I don't think. Most of us were born in this country. Maybe our forefathers came over on the Mayflower, right? However we got here, our family has been here. We've been born here. So in 70 years in Babylon, there were a lot of Jewish children that would be born uh, to Jewish families in Babylon. That's how, that's how probably most, if not all of us, got here. We came that way. If you're part of Jesus' kingdom, you're in exile in this land, and you're looking for a better kingdom. We're, we're hoping and we're expecting and we're longing for the day when Jesus brings his kingdom to earth and realizes it here on the earth. We're looking for that day. But while we're here, 
God told them, while you're there, look for the well-being of the nation you're living in. And I would say to us, living as exiles in America or living as exiles in France or living as exiles in Russia or wherever it is that we, the people of God, live as exiles at, that we should seek the well-being of our country. And for us, it is America. We should seek the well-being of our country. And America, America has been so good to us, hasn't it? It's been so good to us. She has given us freedom. She has guarded us from persecution. We, like no other people of the planet, have lived in a bubble of protection because uh, I'm talking about we as Christian people, as followers of Jesus, we've lived in a bubble that most of the world has never, ever had, right? So we're to, we're to seek for the well-being uh, of our nation. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Let me, let me offer a couple of suggestions. And I think that, I think God would say the same thing to us today. And one of the things I think, how we seek the well-being of our nation is we should speak the truth of God. See, we believe that there's a certain, we believe there's a certain worldview that brings about flourishing, right, in the world including in our, in our nation in which we live in here, or whatever nation it might be. We believe there's a certain worldview that brings about flourishing. And that worldview is God's worldview. That worldview is Jesus' worldview. Listen, everybody, we need to speak God's truth in our world. That's how, that's how we work for the flourishing of our nation. Now, please don't misunderstand. We, we don't do this in a rude way. We don't do this in some kind of you know, pejorative way. I mean, that's the problem. So many of us are angry with how we present truth. I'm not, I'm not encouraging you to be angry and present truth. I'm encouraging you to be like Jesus and present truth in such a way that we challenge people, but we speak truth and we speak against things that are just idiotic. Things like men can be women and women can be men. We need to speak against that. And we don't need to be, we don't need to be rude about it. We just need to be strongly presenting the truth of God. We need to stand for God's truth. So speak of, you want to, you want to, um, you want to benefit this nation? Speak the truth. I mean, I could go on and on, but I don't really want to, but, but you know what I'm talking about. We need to speak God's truth. But here, here's some other ways we can benefit this nation. We can bless this nation that we live in or, or, or pursue the well-being of this nation we live in. You know, we live in a, a constitutional republic, right? So that means that we vote for our representatives who then represent us in government. So unlike so many countries in the world who absolutely have no say-so over who rules them, we, the people of America, I'm not talking about we as Christians, I'm talking about we, the people of America, we have a right, and as Christians we're part of that, we have a right to speak, I mean, we have a right to vote in our leaders, so how do we bless America? How do we pursue for, what's the word, pursue the well-being of America? We do that by voting and being involved in the politic of our country so that we can place and we can vote for folks who will represent us, who will operate from a worldview that we believe brings about flourishing in our country. That is our right as Americans, and it's it's also, I would say, our responsibility as believers and followers of Jesus to vote in folks that we believe will bring about the greatest amount of flourishing in our country. And, and so we should uh, we should be voting for representatives that we believe will bring about flourishing. Now, all that being said, when when Jeremiah wrote this letter to Israel and Babylon, they had absolutely no political power. 
There, there wasn't a representative republic. They weren't voting for anybody. I mean, they just, they, that, the things that I just mentioned to you, now they could speak God's truth, but I mean, as far as any kind of voting for people to represent them, they didn't have any of that. So, so how, how did they do it? What did Jeremiah mean to them? And what does this mean to us? Okay, so I think this is more important than anything I've just said. I think what I'm going to say now is more important. All right, so here goes. The word welfare there that I read you in, in the context, the word welfare is the Hebrew word shalom. Christopher Wright says of this word, it's a wonderfully broad word. It goes beyond, you know, shalom means peace, right? Um, it goes beyond peace as the absence of conflict or war, but to an all-around welfare or well-being. It speaks of wholeness of life, the kind of prospering that the Old Testament included in the blessing of God as the fruit of covenant faithfulness. Seek the shalom is what, uh, what Jeremiah said to the people of Israel there in Babylon. Seek the shalom of the city in which you live, of the people where you live. So that would be seek the well-being, seek the contentment, the wholeness, the health, the prosperity, the safety, the harmony, the happiness, uh, and, the, and the rest of the place, and the rest in the place where you live. Because when Babylon thrives, you thrive. And so we should, as the people of God, we should seek the shalom of America. How do we do that, right? Uh, how do we, how do we do that? Well, we as the people of God are able to bring the blessing of God to the people around us. That's really what we're called to do. We're to bring the blessing of God to everyone around us. And when I talk about the blessing of God, I'm talking about the shalom of his presence. I'm talking about the shalom of his power. I'm talking about how he's the light of the world. We are to bring this blessing of God to everyone around us. Now, now here's Phil Ripken, or Ricken. He's the president of Wheaton College, and he talks about how to do this. I thought this was good, so I'm just going to read it to you. God hereby commands Christians to do anything and everything to further the public good. Seeking the peace of the city means being a good neighbor. It means shoveling the sidewalk. It means cleaning the street. It means planting a tree. It means feeding the poor. It means volunteering at the local school. It means greeting people at the store. It means driving safely and helping people with car trouble. It means shutting down immoral businesses. It means embracing people from every ethnic background with the love of Jesus. I love that quote. I think he's absolutely right. I think that's what it means for us to bring, in some ways, the shalom of God. We just do it by being this kind of person that blesses others by not just our words, but by how we act. Remember what James says. He says, you've got somebody who's cold, and you say, hey, go in peace, God bless you, but we don't give them a coat. What have we done? We've done nothing. So our, our responsibility to bless people is to find ways to do good for them, right? I, I remember, I think it's probably been two years ago, man, I was on this, I was on this thought that we need to bless our community. We need to bless our community. And remember, we were going to pick up all the trash on the road out here in front of the church. Remember that? Anybody remember that? I'm the only one that remembers it. Although a bunch of you said you wanted to help me, but we never did it. I mean, here's just a rhetorical question. Why aren't we doing more as a church family to bless our community? What would that look like? How do we do that? But we should be doing it. In other words, when it comes to mind, Dietrich's talking about our wonderful family, and we are a wonderful family, and we love each other. But when we think about our wonderful family, if I was to ask you, what are we doing to bless Surrey and Alawite County? 
I mean, what things are we doing? How, how are we out there just simply blessing our community? I think we need to find ways to do that. I, I think this is what, I think this is what Jeremiah was telling them. I think this is what God would tell us. One more thing about this shalom. How do we bring shalom, the shalom of God to our, to our city? I mean, I, what I just said, I think is awesome. And they didn't have Jesus at the time, but we've got Jesus, right? So the reason or the way that we can bless our community with shalom is we just need to take Jesus to all of our neighbors. We, we need to be telling our neighbors about Jesus and the peace that he gives, the shalom that he can bring to their hearts and, and how, he, how he changes us as families, how, how, he brings, um, how he brings peace, forgiveness of our sins to ourselves, how he may, helps us love one another and forgive one another, how he adopts us. I mean, all this, we need to be taking Jesus to everyone around us. And um, yeah. And we just need to do it naturally, everyone. We need to do it naturally. I've hesitated whether to share this or not. but So Friday, I went over to Williamsburg to install a life alert for a senior couple. And, um, and so, you know, they were, they were really getting up in age. I would say they were close to 90 years old. And, um, and they, they were in the bedroom. She, she's calling her husband. And, I mean, I'm sitting on the sofa for 10 minutes waiting for them to come out of the bedroom. And uh, anyway, they finally come out. I saw a life alert. And we were sitting there talking. And I don't use the pastor card a lot, but I used it Friday. And I said, hey, I said, uh, I'm a pastor. And I said, I started doing this to help people over my county. And sometimes they send me over here. And, and you know what? Well, we had the most natural conversation about spiritual things. And before I was able to leave, I was able to just share. It was really cool. Share just about this this the 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 gentleman he um he said i'm an agnostic you know i don't really have faith in anything and and so i I talked about my faith in jesus and i talked about our church he talked about how wonderful our church sounded he said uh and i don't think i was exaggerating either but he talked about how wonderful our church was and he says you know you people who have faith he said i just think that's better than than someone like me doesn't have faith and, and, you know, I left, and here's how I left. I, you know, I, I knew his name. I called him by name, and I said, hey, why don't you get a Bible and read about Jesus? Just read the first four books of the New Testament, because you'll find Jesus there. And I told him what I tell you folks all the time, that I think the truth about, about Jesus, I mean, if you look at the evidence for Jesus and his resurrection from the dead, I mean, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. So the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus gets you to the door. But guys, you always have to walk through faith. And I told this couple that. And I walked away just, I walked away Friday morning. God, it wasn't about the life alert. It was about this couple and me having an opportunity to, to really uh, bring the shalom of Jesus to them. I think, this is, I think this is how we live as exiles. Number four, pray for America. Look what he says next. Pray to the, to the Lord on its behalf. Talk about Babylon. For when it thrives, you will thrive. And I could have included this in pursuing the well-being of our community, but God sort of separates it. Pursue the well-being of your community and pray for it. So I separated them. Here's what we need to do for the country in which we live as an exile. We need to pray for our country. 
And because when they thrive, when America thrives, we thrive. Now, this is definitely repeated for us in the New Testament. Paul writes to Timothy, first of all, then I urge that petitions and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authorities, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and, dig- and dignity. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Basically, Paul tells Timothy, hey, pray for pray for the leaders of your nation, because when they thrive, you will thrive. That's basically what he says there. So we should pray for our country. We should pray about what's happening in our country now. This this polarization, this huge divide, this inability to 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 find some middle ground on so many things. We should pray. We should pray for our leaders. And one of the things that Paul tells Timothy is pray for our leaders. And he seems to be saying, pray for them to follow Jesus because I desire that all men follow Jesus. So pray for your leaders to follow Jesus. I think that's one thing we should pray for. Pray for the well-being of our country. In fact, as I was writing this down, I would suggest to all of you that come up here and lead us in prayer on Sunday morning, uh, whether it's myself or anyone else, man, one of the things we should pray for is pray for our country. Pray for the land in which we live as exiles. Pray every Sunday for our country. Number five, don't be deceived, he says, verse eight. For this is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. This is Jeremiah writing to them. Don't let your prophets who are among you, your diviners deceive you. Don't listen to the dreams you, uh, you elicit from them, for they are prophesying falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. This is the Lord's declaration. God had told them, you're going to be in exile for 70 years, a lifetime. People are going to come along and they're going to be telling you, oh, it's just short lived. Keep your suitcase packed. Just live out of your suitcase. God says, don't listen to them. I did not send them. Now, we don't have, any, we don't have a time stamp equivalent. All right, we're living as exiles in this land, but we don't have a time stamp. In fact, we, we've been uh, living as exiles in the land for now going on two millennia. And, um, and we don't know. Jesus did not tell us when he's going to come back. In fact, I think he even said, I don't know. When he was here, he said, I don't know the date when I'm coming back. He did tell us this, a thousand years is his a day, right? And then Peter said, hey, the reason why God hasn't come is because God is patient and merciful. Those are the only two clues we have about the return of Jesus, that a, a year is as a, thousand, a thousand years is as a day, and God is merciful, right? Could be a long more time. And we want to say it's going to be tomorrow. It's going to be, hey, we're right on the doorstep, right? Am I might be another thousand years. It might be another two thousand years. We don't know how long it's going to be, right? There have been Christians who come along and say to us, "We shouldn't care about this world because God's going to destroy it." Um, I, I would say, "Hey, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them." And what I mean by that is, God may indeed destroy the world, but we're to care about this planet. Genesis chapter one, two, and three says we're the stewards of this planet. We're to make, we're to take care of it. Don't listen to anyone who contradicts the word of God, right? Anyone in Sunday school this morning, um, Chris was talking about the importance of the word of God. We, we don't listen to people who contradict God's word. Don't listen to them. We need to listen to him. And so that demands for us to be students of our Bible. It demands for us to, to know the word of God, to hide the word of God in our heart. And number six, last one. Here it is. Here's what he says to them. Live with hope, expectation, and confidence for the future because of my promise. So he goes on in verse 10. He says, for this is what the Lord says. 
When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and I will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You will call to me and I will come and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations in places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. I think this is the best part of the letter. The best part of the letter. God tells them, hey, this is for a lifetime, but 70 years from now, this exile is coming to an end. In 70 years, I'm going to restore you. In 70 years, I'm going to bring you back to the land. God says in 70 years, you'll pray and call on me and seek me. And when you do, you'll find me and I will restore you. This is my promise. Now we quote verse 11 through 13 a lot. Let me read it to you. I'm reading it out of context. I'm ripping it out of context. Here's what it says. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope and you will call to me and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you and you'll seek me and find me for when you when you search me with all your heart. We we take that out and we we claim it for ourselves whatever we're going through and we say God's got God's got something better for us coming down in the future. And and hey listen, that may be true, but in context, he's talking about the exile. And he's saying the exile's coming to an end and I got good plans for you. I'm taking you back to the land. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to do wonderful things. You're going to seek me, you're going to find me and I'm going to restore you. Now, guys, that's not the promise for us. That was a promise for them. But listen to me. There is a promise for us with our exile as well. We don't have a time stamp on it, but we've got a promise for the end of our exile. And it's this. Our king is coming back to end our exile. Our king is coming back and he's going to establish his kingdom. And he's not coming back as a humble child in a manger. He's coming back as the king of kings, the Lord of glory. He's coming back to rule, to to reign, to reclaim this world as his own. He'll resurrect us from the dead. He will raise us up. He'll bring to an end the curse on the earth. And he will rule over the world forever and ever. There'll be no more sorrow, no more death. The God-man Jesus, our king, he's going to do it. And listen to this, and I'm serious. And we'll live happily ever after. (laughs) No fairy tale, but we'll live happily ever after. And that is the promise for our exile. It's not the exact same promise, but it is a promise. And so I would say what he said to them, what he said to them is what he would say to us. Live with hope, expectation, and confidence that our exile is coming to an end. And let's hope it's soon. So even as we live here in America, building our homes and raising our children and blessing our community and praying for our country, even as we seek the truth to not be deceived, Let's live with this hope and this expectation and this confidence that Jesus is coming and our exile will come to an end. By his spirit, I say to you today, I know the plans that I have for you, my people. Plans for your well-being, plans to bless you, to give you a future and a hope forever. Therefore, beloved, what sort of men and women should we be? 
We should be men and women, people who love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, with all our strength. We should be people who love God, trust God, and follow God with everything that is in us. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed.